thankful for the opportunity to worship God together and to sing praises, to pray, and now to open up His Word. Um, really glad that we have a few people that are visiting with us. Some of you are familiar, some of you um, are not familiar at all, but hopefully after today you will be very familiar to us. Um, what we're going to study is in Genesis 37. We're going to talk about Joseph. And I think the reason I thought of this lesson and thought of studying Joseph, we're not going to study all of Joseph's life by any means, but we're mainly going to be looking at Genesis 37, and um, then we're going to skip over to, I believe, Genesis 39, and then we're going to be kind of looking at a couple other passages um, in that general area, like Genesis 41 and then also 50. So that's just kind of give you an idea. That's what we're going to be looking at. In, in the job that I have, I talk to a lot of people that are usually going through a really rough time in their life. Um, they don't have a job or they hate their job. And regardless of what's going on, uh, there's always some sort of other reason why they're looking for a new job or there's a reason why they lost the job that they have. Um, and it never fails that Either it was something of their own doing or something that they had no control of. Um, those are the only options. Either you had full control over, over it and that's why you know, you're in a bad situation or you had no control over it and that's why you're in that situation. So as I'm talking to them, and let's just say that they were laid off, and so maybe I have a job that really fits their skill set. And so I say, hey, you know, we have this. What do you think about that? Let's talk about it some more. And so we meet and I interview them and then, you know, I do the best I can to judge whether or not they would be a fit for the client we have. And then we just move forward in the process. And so hopefully the client wants to set up an interview with them. And, and it never fails that I would say at least half of the time when it comes time to set up the interview, then either that or when it comes time for them to start the job, something has happened. Within that one week or two week time frame, something catastrophic has happened in their life. Um, they got in a car wreck and so, sorry, I can't make it to the interview. Well, I don't know if I believe that anymore. I'm a little bit jaded at this point. I was never considered an optimist, but um, I always said I was a realist. Now I'm kind of a pessimist about a lot of things because people, um, it's hard to trust people sometimes. And so I've had to, you know, kind of fend that off as far as, you know, my lack of trust for people and wanting just to think that they're lying to me and uh, trying to take advantage of me. Um, when we talked about giving and love a week ago, uh, that it made me think, you know, I really need to work on some of those things because in what I do, people are just irresponsible sometimes and they just wind up lying to me a lot. So it comes time to set up an interview, it comes time to set up, uh, you know, for them to start day one and something happens. Like I said, car accident, a uh, family member died, um, their kid's sick. Uh, I mean, I could go on and on and on. And usually there's probably just a handful of recurring excuses or reasons uh, to give them the benefit of the doubt, say reasons. Well, then it never fails that when I do believe them, all I know to do is to say, I'm sorry. And you know what? Life just happens. Because what else are you going to say to somebody? They're like, I'm sorry I can't make it to the interview. I'm sorry, you know, my mom is having this. I'm the only one that can take care of her. I'm like, I get it. I'm sorry that's happening. Or they tell me a story of why they, had, why they were laid off at the other job or even sometimes fired. 
And I, I just, I don't know what to say. I mean, I don't want to say, I don't believe you. <laughs> and I also don't want to say, oh no, let me come over there and we'll talk about it. I can't do that either. So I, all I know to do on the phone is just say, I'm sorry. You know, I get it. Like life happens. And that really is kind of, I don't know, it seems very fruitless. It seems just very empty to say that. But it is the truth. I mean, life does happen. Um, that's just a, a given. <laughs> as long as life continues, life is happening. So there, that means there's good and bad that comes with that. But I want to ask a question and just see what you think. Does that seem to be the best there is to say that life happens? And I, I think that it's not the best thing there is to say. I think there's more to say to that. Now, in my job, I might not be expected or even um, it might not be desired that I would talk more about things and try to dig in more and help them on a spiritual level. But that, that's what we're here today to talk about are spiritual things. So when we find ourselves in difficult situations, maybe in regards to uh, sin or maybe in regards to just our circumstances in life, should we just kind of accept the fact that life happens and throw our hands up and say, well, let me try to start over. And I would say that's not what we're supposed to do. And I want to take a look at Joseph to make that point. Um, so let's look at Genesis 37. And we're going to start in verse 3. Um, so Joseph is the son of Jacob, and that's kind of what we get to with the first couple of verses. But verse 3, now Israel loved Joseph. So Israel and Jacob, they are, they're the same. Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons, because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we are binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more after his dreams for his words. Then he dreamed another dream, and he told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept this saying in mind. So just to kind of walk through this a little bit, um, it says that Jacob, Israel, loved Joseph more than any other of his sons, which is kind of an awful thing to have written, I think. I mean, it's one thing for it to just be known in the family. It's another thing for it to be so known that it's written down for everyone else to know about it. And the thing is, it says he's a son of his old age, but it's not like he, Joseph was the youngest son. Um, so it just seems like it's just a preference. He prefers Joseph. And I would say that in some ways, God seems to prefer Joseph. And we'll get into that a little later. But I don't know if Jacob knows that. I don't know all the reasons that he prefers him. So his brothers hate him, wouldn't you? Um, I wouldn't like Joseph at all. Then he comes and he has these dreams. And he's like, guess what, guys? Like, you're going to bow down to me. So our dad loves you more. He prefers you. And now you're just saying that you have this dream which I can only assume means it's from God or you're making this up either way, I don't like it, and that I'm going to bow down to you. Well, now I really don't like you. Now I, I'm going to really try to hurt you probably. Um, 
Then later on, he has another dream, and now he says that, that not only are his brothers going to bow down to him, but even his father and his mother. So everybody in, in the family is going to bow down to Joseph. You're not really building bridges there. You know, you're, not, you're not really making it to where it's easy for people to like you when they already kind of don't like you. Um, he's not doing himself any favors here. And I don't think he learns a lesson or takes hints. But I also don't know if it should be... It's not his fault that he's having these dreams. It's probably his fault in the way he presents the dreams. Um, like I said, he's not making his brothers like him or he especially not love him anymore. Um, but it does say in verse 11 that his father kept the saying in mind. And I think that means that his father knows that it's probably going to be true. That these dreams aren't just Joseph trying to be a pest to his brothers and to his family. It's not because Joseph is just so high and mighty. There's something to this. Now let's go down to verse 19. So, like I said, his brothers, I mean, they just don't like him. Um, he's a little pipsqueak and they want to take care of him. So, verse 19, they said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe. So his father gave him the special robe that was kind of just like, you're my favorite. And so they, that's obviously the thing they, they first take off, and uh, it's the robe of many colors. Um, I can only imagine that he didn't wear that in a humble way. Uh, that's just my interpretation of it. Uh, I don't know how you wear a robe of many colors in a humble way, but I'm sure that he, he didn't try to. Uh, verse 24, they took him and they threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead, with their camels bearing gum, balm, myrrh, and they're on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his body, conceal his blood? Excuse me. Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. So there's some sense. You know, that makes sense, right? Here's our own flesh. Let's just sell him instead of kill him. Um, it's, I don't know. I guess there's a little bit of mercy there. Um, and his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite uh, traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. I, w I want you to notice that in verse 20, in verse 22, and in verse 24, the pit played an important role. It was always a plan for him to throw, it was always the plan for them to throw him into the pit. It was just a matter of what they were going to do with him uh, once he was there. Are they going to kill him and then throw, him, throw his dead body in there? Are they going to throw him in there and just leave him, maybe leave him to die, and then Reuben's plan is I'm going to go and save him? Or, hey, you know what, let's throw him in the pit, wait for some traders to come, let's sell him, let's make a profit. You know, because we shouldn't hurt our, our own brother. I mean, he's, he's our flesh and blood. Um, so the lesson I want to talk about is just the idea of being thrown in a pit. Whether it's because of others throw you in there, whether it's because of your own pride that you find yourself in there, whether it's because, you know, circumstances in life that were beyond your control. I think we all find ourselves in a pit at times. It could be sin. It could be um, without a job. It could be 
loss of a family member. It could be um, someone has taken advantage of us in our family or a close friend to where we just feel lost and we don't know what to do. If you notice, one of the things it says is that, hey, the, let's throw him in the pit and he's all alone. There's no water. There's no way for him to survive in this pit. And I think that's how some of us feel. We feel cast down and we feel left and forgotten. Um, he wasn't forgotten. They did remember him, but they remembered him because they wanted to make a profit for him. Now let's go over to Genesis 39. Genesis 39. So somehow Joseph, you know, I mean, I mean the, the dreams kind of come true, uh, although we're not going to see it here. But, I mean, good does happen to him. He rise to rise uh, to prominence in Egypt somehow. And it's a pretty amazing story how that happened. Uh, so we begin in verse uh, 1 of chapter 39. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites, bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had bought, brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with them, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in his house, in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Um, now it does say, Joseph was, a handsome, was handsome in form and appearance. Um, so there was something special about Joseph, I guess, and that's something that his master's wife noticed. And it was very clear that it's only because Joseph that Potiphar's house is successful. And Potiphar even notices, notices the Lord is with you. Now, I don't think he knew that this was the, the Lord Jehovah. I think it just means like, oh, the gods. I mean, maybe that's how he thought. The gods are, are with you, so I'm, I'm with you. Uh, I'm going to be on your side. You would think that maybe one of the brothers would have thought the same thing in the past. They would have thought, our father shows preference to him. He has these dreams. Let me side myself with Joseph, and maybe good will happen to me too. But they don't think that way. So Potiphar, maybe selfishly, is showing a little bit of wisdom here. Um, I'll give him that credit. I mean, he, he understands there's something special about Joseph. Problem is, so does his wife. And so his wife comes to him and says, lie with me. And Joseph's like, no, I, I can't do that. Um, my master has given me everything in his house that is, is handed to me. I can have access to anything except for you. You are his wife. And he makes it very clear, I cannot sin against my master and against God. And that doesn't stop her. Uh, she continues her advances. And then as you go down to verse 11, but one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were, was there in the, in the house, she called him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. I only assumed that she was embarrassed. I don't think it was her plot to just grab his garment and then turn him in and lie about him. I think she was embarrassed. I think that she was frustrated that this servant would not do what she said. And I can only assume that she thought a lot of herself. I mean, she's Potiphar's wife. Why shouldn't she? They have riches in the house. And who is this little servant, this lowly servant that's not going to lie with her when she wants that? So she turns him into the guards and um, she lies about him saying that he came on to her basically. Um, 
And it says in verse 19, as soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. So the keeper of the prison puts Joseph in charge of all the prisoners. And uh, anyway, as we go on, what we see is that Joseph's life is peaks and valleys. I mean, he's up here, and then he's down here in the pit. Then he's kind of on the way up, but he's still here. Then, boom, he shoots up, and he's, like, in charge of a bunch of stuff in Potiphar's house. And then, boom, he's down in prison. But he's kind of not the, you know, bottom of the barrel. Like, they trust him. Things, good things happen to him. But then he gets left there for two whole years, it says. After he has visions, and he tells one of the guys that's also there, you're going to get let out. Sorry, you're going to die, but you're going to get let out. And I want you just to remember me. He said, I will remember you. And he does it for two years. So here's Joseph. The Lord's with him. There's something special about him. And he's just stuck in prison for two years. Or over two years, probably. So what would your thoughts be at this point? It says that the Lord was with him. It says that in verse 2, chapter 39. Um, it says that again in verse 21 of 39, like we read. And there are a few other verses that says that as well. Does it seem like the Lord's with him? I would say no. I would say it seems like um, he is a victim of terrible circumstances and people that are jealous of him. And it does not seem like the Lord's with him. He winds up in a pit. He winds up in prison. And he's left there. Well, obviously, that's not the end of everything. Um, we do know in chapter 41 that after two years, Pharaoh has a dream, and no one can tell him uh, what it means or what's going with, on with it. Then the cupbearer who was in prison with Joseph, he's like, Oh, I remember uh, this one guy in prison can help you with that. He can interpret dreams. He interpreted dreams for me, and, in, and it came to pass. And so now Joseph's let out. Now he comes back to prominence again. And now it's like, oh, now the Lord's with him. What I want you to, to appreciate is the fact that it doesn't matter where Joseph was in his life or what good or bad was coming to him. The Lord was with him throughout the whole thing. And I think that's a difficult thing for us to keep in mind. That when I have terrible things happen in my life, when people take advantage of me, when people are given a leg up that I'm not given, when someone in my family... Uh, does something terrible and it affects our family, when someone dies in my family, whatever it might be, the Lord is still with me. If I, if I would be committed to the Lord, the Lord God will be with me, no matter what circumstances I find myself in in life. So again, now he co actually comes back to prominence. I want to skip over towards the, the end of, or towards the middle of chapter 41. Let's go over to verse 37. So Joseph interprets the dream, says, this is what you need to do. This is how you need to make sure that there's not a famine that just, you know, ravages Egypt. You need to make sure that everyone is coming to Egypt to get to gain grain and, and to actually be able to survive. Because the famine is going to be not just in Egypt, but it's going to be throughout this whole region. I don't know if it was worldwide, but as far as their world, it was worldwide. Um, so verse 37, this proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? 
Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Does your character in difficult times cause other people to say what Pharaoh said of Joseph? Can we find a man like this in whom the Spirit of God, in whom is the Spirit of God, or a woman? I mean, depending on if you're a man or a woman. Is that something that even in difficult times when you've been forgotten, left for dead practically, that someone could still say there's something special about you, that you stand out in the crowd because you have the Spirit of God? And I would say that for me, most of the time it's no. Most of the time I throw a pity party. Most of the time no one wants to be around me or... I try to act like everything is okay, but then it doesn't take much, and I'm just on edge. Uh, there's, it's not hard for me to get worked up and frustrated when I'm going through some circumstances. We need to be calm and constant in our character so that others around us see that there's something special even when we are going through difficult times. Uh, now we're going to skip ahead because I, I don't want to read. There, there's a lot we could read through, but let's skip ahead to chapter 45. Um, Just to kind of, I guess, recap, there's a lot of back and forth. Joseph's brothers actually have to come to Egypt because the famine comes true and Egypt is the only place that has anything. Um, Joseph puts his brothers to the test. He's like, you know, um, talking about his father, talking about their, their father, talking about the younger brother, and there's a lot going on. He sends them back and everything. And anyway, in chapter 45, If you look at verse 4, Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. What an amazing perspective. I can only think that the Spirit of God actually was with him to help him understand that. But that's the thing, when we draw near to God, he draws near to us, James tells us. So if Joseph is drawn near to God, even in the bad times, it seems like God is giving him some insight as well. How else could he understand that as his brothers are there, they're literally going, to, they're, they're begging him. They're, they're asking and pleading for help. The, the prophecy or the dream has come true, right? And he just says, he reveals himself to them. He says, I'm your brother, Joseph. And I think that it's weird how, I shouldn't say weird, but it's impressive in verse five that he cares for how their, what their reaction is going to be. Don't be distressed. Okay. Uh, don't, don't worry about it. All right. He cares about how they're going to respond to the reality that they're looking at their brother that they sold into slavery. Whereas my reaction would be, you know, I could kill you, right? <laughs> I want you to know that I'm going to help you but I want you to know that like, I could do whatever I wanted to you because I have that power remember that dream yeah I'm the, I'm the sheep that sit tall okay just like I said it and they just see what their reaction was and be like alright get out of here <laughs> but that's not what he does that's not what he does at all he says that God set, sent me before you to preserve life Joseph has the big picture in mind Joseph understands that if it wasn't for all these terrible things happening, he would not be in the position where he could help his family to survive. He would not be in the position where his family could thrive. His family would have died 
a lot of people would have died if it were not for him being sold into slavery and having the opportunity to reveal the purpose of a dream to Pharaoh. God was with him, even though it, did, it seemed like that he wasn't. So just to recap, um, I, I want to talk a little bit about, or I just want to mention the qualities that Joseph has shown uh, throughout this whole story. Joseph has shown that he's forgiving of his brothers. He's shown a sense of patience and endurance that I would have probably not been able to do. Um, He's shown conviction because he did not lie with Potiphar's wife, and he did not go against what God would have him to do. But he's also shown uh, showed a sense of humility, even if others thought it was pride. I mean, it seems like he was just real with the situation, real with what God was revealing to him. And I think it all is summed up in love. Joseph has love for God and love for his brothers, a love that surpasses what, what I would be able to have after what they've done to him. It reminds me of Jesus. Jesus was forgiving. Jesus was patient. He was convicted of what his father wanted him to do. He was humble and he was loving. And what did he say when those were mocking him in his face, when those were standing before him as he was lifted up on the cross? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He knew why he was there and he knew it was for their own good. Just like Joseph knew why he was there because it was for their own good. And I think one of the most amazing things that I see in Joseph's life is what he says to brothers after their father has died and was buried. Because their concern is, when our father's out of the picture, Joseph has free reign to do whatever he wants to us. I mean, he, he relented probably in the past because of Jacob, because of their father. But now we don't know. And it goes back to chapter 50, what James read earlier. So I'll, I'll reread just one verse of chapter 50, and that's verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. What an amazing example to us of how we should respond to being thrown in whatever pit we find ourselves in. But more than that, how we should respond to those who mean evil for us. This is what it looks like when this is what it practically looks like when we're told that we should uh, forgive those and we should um, not speak evil of those and we should not even do that for the, to those who are persecuting us or those that revile against us. If you go over to the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 and you read through, through what we're supposed to do to those that or how we're supposed to react to those that are evil and that hate us, this is what it looks like. We care for them, we care for their future, and we speak kindly to them. And that's very hard for me. So just a, a few things before we wrap up. I want to talk, and there's not many other passages I want to turn to. I want to draw out three realizations from this story that might help us in our life. And then I want to talk about three reactions we should have when we find ourselves in our own pit. Three realizations would be that if we have dug ourselves into a hole, we can't dig ourselves back out. Um, let's just say it was Joseph's own fault that he was in the hole because of his pride, let's say. I mean, I don't think that's what it was. I think it was his brother's jealousy, but let's just say it was his own doing. You think he could just get himself out? I would say no. I would say that the only thing he could do is rely on God. Granted, that is him digging himself out, 
But it's not by his own power, strength, or might, or whatever, whatever it is. This isn't a situation where we can jump high enough to get out, or we can claw deep enough into the ground to get ourselves out. We will rot and die in our pit if we rely on ourselves. We must turn to God, and that will take a great sense of humility. Usually it's not just one mistake that you know, causes us to find ourselves in a pit. It's mistakes that compound on themselves. We make bad decisions. Those bad decisions have repercussions. Usually, if it's sin, it's not just one sin. It's a deep heart issue that causes us to have many sins in our life. So we try to cover it up and not let anyone find out because we're just embarrassed by it. Well, that's not what we need to do. We can't climb out ourselves. We need God to do that. The second thing is that if we've been thrown into a pit, we are in circumstances that are not our own doing, we don't need to blame other people for that. Joseph didn't. Joseph didn't blame his brothers. He saw the big picture and he praised God for his circumstances. Um, even, I don't know if he praised God. I mean, I, I, I have confidence he did. We don't have an actual thing where while he was in the pit or while he was in prison, he said a bunch of things that just gave this idea that like, oh, I thank you, God, for putting me here. But if you see his reaction after the fact, there's no doubt. There's no doubt that he was praising God during those times in the good and the bad. Maybe your family situation is far less ideal than others. Maybe it becomes a major frustration in your life because it impedes on how you would like to be living. Well, from my experience in my personal life, you wind up bitter and you wind up angry. And anytime someone tries to give you a good perspective, you just don't listen to them at all. You wind up blaming them. The bad things that happen to you are now your parents' fault. Or even if it's something that is legitimately someone's fault. Maybe the doctors missed something on a test. They, they, they just missed it. They didn't run a test they should have or something like that. So after six months, now you finally have the answer and it's something that is irreversible, it seems. Well, what, are you, what is your response? Are you going to blame the doctor? I mean, he probably deserves it. He or she probably deserves it because maybe it is their fault. But that does nothing to you in your situation. Now, I'm not speaking to like legal action or anything like that. I'm just saying in your frame of mind that you need to be in, blaming someone else does nothing for you. What you need to do is you need to turn to God. And you need to just rely on him. You need to have the example that Joseph had of forgiveness and love. And the third realization that I have from the story is that sometimes it can seem pointless to try to escape from our pit. Sometimes I feel like I've dug so deep that what's the point? I think especially when it comes to sin. I can, I can feel like this is just my life now. I mean, this is just how I'm living. I want to do good some, but I mean, I'm, there's no getting out of it now. Well, because maybe you, you looked up and you saw like, okay, I can get out of this, but you never did. Well, it can seem pointless, but what you need to do is you need to keep looking up. You need to keep looking up and try to understand that there is hope, there is you know rescue coming. Even if the rescue seems like it's in the form of uh, slave drivers and traders, <laughs> uh, which is an interesting thing that Joseph was saved by people that were trying to imprison him. But God was working through them to bring him to the place that God wanted him to be. Sometimes it's the form of people that we don't really want to be helping us. Sometimes it's the form of people that say things that aren't, they don't seem very beneficial. <laughs> they seem to be hurtful at times. 
But if they're real and, and if they're godly truths, then we should listen to those things. This reminds me a little, a little bit. If we, if we take the attitude that, of just, look, it, it is what it is. What's the point anymore? That's exactly what the children of God did right after they left Egypt. As they came up to the sea and they, they saw the Egyptians were at their back, they said, what was the point? We should have just been left in Egypt. And that's how we can be sometimes. We can think, I've been saved by God. I'm thankful for the blood of Christ that cleanses me from my sin. And then we go down the path of sin eventually because life happens, you might say. But really our decisions have happened and influences around us have caused us to do that. And then we just don't know, what the, what's the point? I, what's the point of me ever even going to services? What's the point of me praying right now? I, what's the point of any of that? The point is that you can still be saved. Those children of Israel still could, or the children of God, still could be saved. If they would have trusted God, and it, well, luckily they didn't turn back and go back to Egypt, or they didn't just throw their hands up, the sea parted, and they were able to see, okay, we should just keep going. And that's the thing, is that it's a difficult path sometimes, but we just need to be patient. God will open up that path for us, and then we will see that I need to pursue God. I need to trust in Him. Now, that might take some very difficult changes in our lives. So then, lastly, just to reference three things that we need to do if we find ourselves in, in a pit. And I feel weird just keeping on saying pit, you know, but circumstances, difficulties, sin, whatever it is. These are three, I'm, I'm saying these are three confessions that we should have. We should have the confession that I can't, but I know Christ can. I can't get myself out, I know Christ can. Because he is my strength. God is my strength and my deliverer. The second one is that I've doubted, but God knows. God had a purpose. Even if Joseph doubted, God had a purpose. And Joseph actually says that he knows that, that God planned this for good and for the good of others. That's very difficult for me. But 2 Timothy 2 says that this, is a, this saying is trustworthy. If we have died with him, we also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Um, throughout our walk with Christ, walk in Christ, there will be times where we might, we might waver, we might want to deny him. God is faithful even when we are faithless. So we need to turn to him. Because we, we know that, because we don't know what's coming next, but God does. And the third confession is that I'm never alone as long as I'm with God. Joseph was not alone when he was with that pit. Remember, there's no water. There was nobody down there. But even in that circumstance, God was with him. When he was in the prison and when it seemed like no one was there for him, even though there were people around, but no one was there supporting him, there were two people that still had him in mind. His father Jacob still remembered him and still cared for him, even though in his mind he was dead. And his father above never, never forsook him. And those are very difficult things for us to, to remember. So just to, just to, I guess, bring this to a close, I hope that these thoughts have been helpful just from a perspective of as we go through life, we will find ourselves in circumstances that are less than ideal and maybe even terrible. But our response to those circumstances will determine sometimes our, our eternity. We never need to lose hope and we never need to lose faith. And our character during those times will influence others. It could be said of us that the Spirit of God is with us. Even when we find ourselves 
broke, even when we find ourselves alone, even when we find ourselves wallowing in sin, if we will turn to God in all of those circumstances, we not only show our faith to him, but we show our faith uh, to him in the presence of others. So if you find yourself in a circumstance that is very, very, very difficult for you, where you just, you've struggled to know what to do and struggled to handle it on your own, um, we're here for you and we want to help you not just by put patting on the back and saying it's going to be okay, but through prayer and through um, constant help and attention, um, we will try to help you through those circumstances. Or if what has been the thing that's gotten you down is sin, you need to turn to God. And we will help you in that process if we can. As much as we can, we will help you to turn to God and have faith in Him. Um, if you do have anything, feel free to talk to somebody afterwards or let us know as we sing the song.